We've addressed the tech shortage topic from several angles here on the show, but this conversation truly surprised me. There's so many layers to the problem. So when you hear a unique perspective like the one you're about to hear, it really brings a level of clarity that the obvious answers just don't give you. This week's guest is Lowell Green. Lowell is a lifelong tech, a former shop owner, a business coach for ShopFix Academy, and the creator of TechFix, which launches July 1st, 2023. Lowell delivers some incredible insight and solutions to the problem, which may be hard to hear for some, but I promise they will inspire you to drive the necessary changes in your shop to increase your hire rate and retention rates through the roof. If you want to be part of the solution, stay tuned. Effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Lowell, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Super glad you're here, man. Me too. You came from far away. Right across the hall. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you you were actually one of the very first guests that were on the show. Yeah, and you've had uh, you've done really well with this. I'm proud of you, man. I, I think I've got like twenty listeners now. Twenty, maybe yeah. twenty one. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Are you going to start listening? I'm going to start listening. You don't listen, do you? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I do. You know, hey, we're busy, but I do. Uh, I catch it as often as I can. Anyway, uh, Lowell, I've known you for few years now, like three, four years. Yeah, right about that. Yeah, three and a half years, something like that. Yeah, you're a pretty solid dude, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. You are too. Well, thanks. So uh, besides you being my friend, I wanted to have you on the show because uh, you are working on something really cool right now. Yes, I am. And you are solving a massive problem that we have right now in the industry. Trying to, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I want you to talk about that. Um, yeah. Before you do that, though, because yeah. I, I want to jump in and, and I, there's a lot to unpack there. So a lot of folks may not know who you are. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, who is Lowell Green? Uh, who am I? The eternal question. Well, I tell you, you know, as far as this industry goes, I've been, I've been, you know, twisting wrenches and I've been an owner and, and a coach for over, you know, in some, some manner in this industry for over 30 years. And, uh, you know, my, my heart has always been being a technician. And you had asked, uh, you know, before we got on here, like, I, I want you to tell your story. And, and I think, you know, if you've been to conferences or, or whatever, and you've seen me speak, you've, you've often heard about my beginnings of, you know, as a t troubled teenager, right? Uh, very troubled. I was a dishwasher in a diner and um, I made probably the best mistake of my life, which was uh, my first vehicle I bought was a uh, 1972 Volkswagen bus. 
and uh, it broke down on the way home after buying it, right? So it was just a series of like one catastrophic uh, failure after another. And, um, you know, 15 years old, I, I end up in Pittsburgh like a Friday night. Do you, how deep do you want me to go into this story? Deep as you want, man. I'll just cut out what I don't want. <laughs> Perfect. I figured. All right. So I'll just ramble. I'm going to cut it all out. I'll just ramble on it. You know. Um, Kidding. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going up the, I'm, I li lived in Pittsburgh, 15 years old, maybe 16 at this moment. And I'm, it's Friday night, it's cold. I'm, I'm, I'm going up this hill. And the, if you guys know how fast Volkswagen buses are, um, not very, it's a, a snail's pace. So People are angry behind me because, you know, it's two lanes and I'm coming up over this hill and, and the, the engine starts chugging and then black smoke starts billowing out of the back of this thing. And that was it. I'm on the side of the road, right? Waiting for the tow truck. They tow it to this little, um, I think it was an Amco shop or it was a, oh, it was a mobile gas station. It had two service bays in it and it was a, a father and son. They were pretty cool. They got the bus and they looked at it and they were like, hey, you got to, you got to get an engine in this thing or it's, there's. Done. And I was like, well, how much is that? And it's like fourteen or fifteen hundred bucks. And a dishwasher can't fool with no fourteen, fifteen hundred dollar engine, right? So I was pretty devastated. Um, because at that moment in time I was playing in a lot of bands and like this was my ticket out of Pittsburgh, right? I'm this is my tour van. This is what I'm, What did you play? Well, that's a whole other story, man. <laughs> so being that I was a troubled youth, you know, I was I was pretty attracted to, you know, punk rock and, and like that whole subculture because I was a little bit of an oddball, and, and I'm sure you're thinking right now you still are, uh, still are a little bit, but <laughs> I found my people, right? The, the other people who were, you know, maybe not cut from the same cloth as everybody else, right? Yeah. Um, so I was really at that moment in time into that whole band life, and I, I really just wanted to play in, you know, Cincinnati and Columbus and New York and Philadelphia and D.C., where all the other kids were hanging out and, and the scene was going on. Not, you know, not being aware at 15 or having any real mechanical ability that the bus that I bought for 300 bucks was never going to make it to Philadelphia. It wouldn't even make it up the street. Um, so I got this estimate and I, I had to think on it for a few days. You know, I, I think I asked my uncle and he was like, no kid, I, I'm not going to, that, that bus is trash. I'm not going to lend you money to, to put that engine in. And I went to the garage to pick it up, and the, and the, the younger one uh, in the family there, who was a technician at the, the mobile uh, gas station, he, he came to me with a J.C. Whitney catalog. And, and for the, if I'll know how old you are if you say, <laughs> I remember J.C. Whitney catalog. Um, but he's like, look, you can order the parts to rebuild this thing if you, if, you know, it's not that hard. And, you know, he was right. It wasn't that hard. But, you know, I, I ended up taking a magazine home and I ordered a kit and I, uh, I pulled this thing out and tore it down in my basement over the winter. And, uh, you know, it took me about three months, but I cleaned every part. I painted every part. I put it back together. You know, uh, I, I wouldn't say it was perfectly. Like, I had some leaks and stuff like that. And I learned a lot. So it, it was about spring, probably end of February, maybe beginning of March, we put it back in. into the. We put the engine back into the bus. And I fired it up and it smoked worse than it, it did the night that it broke down. I'm like, oh my God, something, I did something terribly wrong. And uh, there was this little place called Lenny's Air-Cooled Volkswagens. This guy, I'm, I'm sure they're no longer there. This, this is a long time ago. Um, 
So I went over there and I talked to him about it, you know, and, and I'm sure like I was one of those customers that showed up at Lenny's uh, repair shop. He had a machine shop too. He just, he wished I, I never walked through his door, right? Because <laughs> I was just like, I, I'm going to buy this 10 cent part and ask you a million questions, right? I was that guy. But Lenny was cool. Um, and he taught me about indexing piston rings. And this is why my engine was smoking so bad. I didn't know anything about it. I, you know, I, I had gotten books. I spent a lot of time at the library trying to figure out how to put this thing back together properly. One step I missed. So pulled it back out, indexed the rings, put it back in, and it ran beautifully. And I was just hooked at that moment in time. You know, it was, um, it. It was, it was a culminating moment for me, man. Yeah. That, was, that was like, you know, I, I gave up my dish rag, and I, uh, I, I went and got the first job I could in a, in a shop as a lube technician. And that was it. I was I was on my way. Like I never looked back. I always I always loved working on cars. It's, it's been my passion, um, and you know it's kind of how I got into the industry. You know it's kind of haphazard. I don't know. You know, and, and many times and 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 many points in my life, I look back and I realize like how how lucky I am that I have that skill set and that I went that I bought that bus. You know that I went down that road. I could be doing. A number of other things, I'm sure, weren't good, but <laughs> but here I am, you know. So 30 years later, yeah, that's really interesting to think about what what could have been, what could have been, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love your story, Lowell, because you know I, I talk to you know shop owners all day, and most I, w- I would say most people I talk with, uh, a, a large majority are you know similar technician eventually owned a shop mm-hmm. you know and 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 you know so on and so forth and what i think what i think people need to understand that maybe you know aren't a technician background or don't know a technician or maybe your advisor is new to the industry or you you found us somehow on iTunes you have no idea what we're talking about mm-hmm. to me when i look at someone who has a a trade skill like like being able to fix a vehicle or build a house whatever it is I don't think people understand how much passion goes into that. You know, like somebody that just works an office job, they work, they go to their desk, they sit down, they do their work, they go home, they use their spreadsheet, whatever it is. There's not a lot of passion. They're punching in, they're punching out. But when I really talk to a technician and, and, you know, learn their story, which I've been grateful to hear so many stories, it's always this, I love it. I love the craft. I love you know, what it's like to fix a vehicle and to find the problem. And, you know, it, it's, it's this really beautiful thing. And so I, I love your story because again, it highlights that to me. And, and I'm sure so many listening will be able to relate to that. Now you eventually opened a shop. Uh, you, you did that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, Ended up in Austin, Texas. You know, I've kind of been all over the place. There's, I'm getting a picture for yeah, young you. So young me was a, he was a little more dynamic than I am now. Um, no, you're pretty dynamic, man. Well, thanks, uh, I guess. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> so I ended up in, in Austin, Texas um, and because I wanted to play music. You know, at some point I switched from playing punk rock, you know, which is what I did. Uh, into my mid twenties, uh, late twenties, I, I switched to playing country music, which is, you know, everyone's always like, that doesn't make any sense, but it really does. It's the same three chords, man. It's just slowed down and a little more <laughs> articulate. Subject matter is often the same too. So, um, I fell in with some guys who uh, who were playing a lot in and around Austin uh, on Sixth Street, and this is years ago at a, at a club called Momos, and and I went down there. I moved down there to uh, play music, uh, and 
I had a job and it was just, you know, I was working for this, um, well, let me back up a little bit. So I, I had spent some of my career at one of the bigger chains. Um, and I was, a, I was a trainer and I was, you know, technician. Repair train. Yeah. Re- repair, repair shop. Chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Tire store. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give them any free advertising or anything here. So we'll just leave them. <laughs> One of the big ones. Yeah, I'm not going to mention them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I spent a lot of time doing that. And, you know, I was working my way up kind of the corporate ladder. And it just, it wasn't comfortable for me. You know, I mean, if, if you if you know me, you know I have mechanic tattooed across my, my knuckles. Literally, guys. Literally. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just, I'm not the guy that, like, I'm not a suit and tie kind of guy, man. I, and I can't. The, the office politics just were just bored the hell out of me, to be honest with you. And so I, I wanted to get back into ranching and I, I rolled my toolbox in, into this guy's um, garage and his shop and um, really loved him. He was, he was awesome. He, he ended up retiring uh, and sold the shop. So one of our competitors that we were friends with offered me a job and, and uh, I went to work for him. And at first it was, it was okay. Uh, and then it was one of those situations where like he was, this particular operator was charging customers for things that we weren't even doing. Right. He was, Jeez. yeah, it was that. And I busted him on it and I'm like, Hey man, I can't work here if this yeah. is the kind of stuff that's happening. And he said, well, you know, he, he apologized and I was like, well, I'm going to have faith. I'm, I'm going to give this guy some grace and, and, you know, see if he cleans it up. And, you know, I was trepidatious from that point forward. Um, you know, sure enough, it's like three or four weeks later, I caught him again. He was selling fuel injection services to, to a little lady. We didn't even have a chemical to do the job, right? That's a bad name, man. Yeah. Ugh. So I'm, I'm just going to say this. I li- literally stuffed my middle finger in this guy's face and walked out. I was, I was just, can I say that? Uh, you didn't cuss, so I don't oh, care. Good, all right. Yeah. Um, and I, I borrowed 5,000 bucks from a friend and I got a, a thousand square foot shop with, with a two post already in it. And I, I went for it. Heck yeah. Yeah, this I, it's like 2004, I think. Yeah. Five. Um, so what I didn't realize was how quickly this thing was going to take off. And it was really easy. And I'm, I'm not, I know the culture has changed a lot in our industry. And I think in the last, like, let's say 10 or, or 12 years, especially the culture has changed. Um, customers are more aware of education. They're more aware of cu- good customer service. Uh, they're more aware that we are trying to shake off that image. Yeah. You remember, uh, you may or may not remember, there uh, well, there were a lot of 60-minute episodes oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. where, like, you know, they would write their names on an oil filter. A hidden filter, camera hidden or camera. something. Yeah. yeah. And they would take it into a shop, and, uh, you know, they would pay for an oil change. They'd bring it back to the studio. Same filter was still on it, right? So this was kind of the culture at that moment in time in Austin, Texas. And within nine months, we had to move out of that shop. We, were, we went to four bay. Um, again, within a year after that, I found myself in a 14 bay. And it was just, you know, re- really quickly, we, we built up our reputation of being people who would listen, who would uh, repair cars, who would actually fix cars, charge you a reasonable amount. Um, you know, we, we just like everybody, we're, we're a for-profit business. Um, and, you know, it just, it just went so well. And one of the things that we did, um, because I was heavily involved in the music culture, was, you know, we worked on a lot of broke musicians' cars, right? Because, again, musicians, they're not, they're not making a lot of money. If, if, you, if you don't have a deal, you're, just, you're slugging it oh, out yeah. every night at the clubs. 
it, so we wanted to help them out, but you know, it wasn't totally charity because I knew that they had friends and fans and family that they would tell that, hey, go to go to Go Green Auto or whatever. So they did. And it's just like every, it seemed like every Monday morning I would look up and there were more and more cars in the parking lot and people were just dropping off their keys. And, and it was, I mean, honestly, it was a little too easy. You know, it was like, we, how do we get here in three or four years where, you know, from a, a single bay to a 14 bay? Um, and, you know, so I ran that pretty successfully for a long time. Um, and started getting into coaching in about 2014. Um, one of my coaching auto repair shops, coaching auto repair yeah. shops, yeah, which is something that I still do now. Mm -hmm. Um, so for about you know nine or ten years, I've, I've been doing this. Um, I hired an advisor who ended up becoming my general manager at, at the big store. Um, and he had told me about his friend who he had worked for. Um, he had just come from there and he, he was worried. Like the guy couldn't afford to keep him on staff anymore. So I hired him. And he was telling me about, you know, how things were being run over there. And he's really worried about him. He's like, hey man, can you drop by and just take a look at this guy's operation and see if you can help him out. And I coached him um, for, I mean, for about a year. But in the first five weeks, we, we went in there and we had to let go of his whole staff. Um. They were, so because he, he wasn't a great advertiser. He didn't, I mean, he just kind of bought a business and thought, you know, like a lot of people do naively, yeah. like this is going to be great. Like he had a rougher time with success than I did, right? Yeah. Um, just because he was a newbie, not because he was doing anything wrong or, or, or is not a good person or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened was we, we, his guys, because he couldn't get cars through the door, they were essentially running their own shops within his shop. Like, hey, boss, if you don't have any work for me today, can I bring in my cousin's car? I'm going to do some work on it to make a little bit of money. And then I come in and I look, I'm like, what are all these work orders here? He's like, oh, it's his cousin. I was like, man, he's got a lot of cousins. You know, uh -huh. like, so we had a clean house over there and we hired him a whole new staff and rebranded. I think that, you know, he was doing under 300,000 a year when I showed up. I think that the second year, that after I coached him, he did about eight fifty nine hundred somewhere around there. All right. So yeah, he you know he got on the right path, and and then I started you know that was kind of my mo. You know, like we we knew that you know you were maybe part of the old culture. I I drive by your shop, I'd see less and less cars out front. I'd see fewer toolboxes in the bays, and I knew what was happening. And I would just simply approach the, the shop owner and be like, hey, let's let's fix this, and and did that um, for for quite a while. It turns out this client who um, who I first worked with is essentially my first coaching client. Now I'd helped other business owners along the way because you know I've learned a few things, uh, and mainly my whole coaching platform has been of two parts: number one, my complete failures and learning from them, and number two, developing what I call solutions-based coaching, which is. I don't like to spend a lot of time on the problems. I like to spend time on the solutions. Like, let's get a road, let's get a game plan. Let's get a roadmap. Let's get you there. How do we do that? Because I am not interested in going through a year and a half of your QuickBooks to try to figure out where you're going wrong, right? I want to get you successful. So he called, uh, this first client of mine called me and he said, hey, have you ever met Aaron Stokes? And I said, no, I never have. And and uh, he was like, you should. And somehow, I, I, this is a little foggy, but the next thing I know, I'm, I'm on an airplane. And I'm, but when I saw what was happening, I thought to myself, I have to be a part of this, right? Like I, I can go on helping one You're shop. You're talking about with ShopFix. With ShopFix, yes. I can go on by myself, shop after shop and help people. But if I do it on this scale, I'm going to help a lot of people. 
And that's truly what's been in my heart. Like, that's why I came here. That's why I didn't open another shop. That's why, you know, I, I didn't do anything else. Like, I came here because I wanted to coach. It, you know, primarily because I struggled, you know, with my shop. I got in a lot of trouble. I had huge successes and huge failures. And I think most shop owners can relate to that. And the other reason why I wanted to coach was because most shop owners that I, I came across were technicians. They were technicians who were like, if this guy's making all this money on my work, I'm going to go do it, not knowing a thing about it. Same, exactly what I did. And then struggled. Like, how do you even pay your taxes? How do you know that as a technician, right? Right. So I went through a lot of that. And, and because I had that pain, I wanted to help other people because I could see I wanted them to be successful. I wanted them to learn from what I, I had, where I had failed uh, and, and figured out how to pick out the pieces. So um, largely, that's how I came to be here, you know, right across the hall from you. I guess that was, you know, three and a half, four years ago now. It's been, uh, been quite a ride. Yeah, it's been a ride. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm grateful that you told that story, uh, A, because I want people to know who you are, mm. um, but B, I, I think it really beautifully illustrates why what your current project is, is perfect for you. Um, and, and so I want, I want to dive into that because, sure. uh, you know, I, I heard, you know, this is probably a couple of years ago, I heard, you know, hey, Lowell, Lowell Green's going to start doing uh, technician training. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And, uh, you know, that, I mean, it's, you, you were actually launching live the technician training program in a few days, right? Like end, end of day tomorrow. End of day tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and so, so many owners are technicians mm. or were technicians and then open a shop. Um, and, and just like the story that, you know, you told about, you, you know, you flipped the guy the bird and, you know, started your own shop. Mm-hmm. We are, I think, probably more so than any other time in history, short on technicians and service trade in general. Yeah, services in general. Yeah. And, and so I know that, I know that your heart is to try to fix that. Yes. Before we talk about the solution, why is it? Why are we in this place? So that's a good question. Um, and one I can answer because I, I I saw it go down firsthand, right? And you know, a lot of my coaching, a lot of things that I speak about, you know, at conferences or whatever, from my personal experiences. And when I was in high school, um, now I got kicked out when I was fifteen. They they made my mom come down to high school and and sign me out of high school because they were like, "We're done with him. You take care of him." That's now. impressive, dude. But you know, I was like, "Oh, because they did that." I was like whatever, I'm going to finish. And I did. I finished before my class. I graduated my class. But I went to night school and, and day school and summer school because, you know, now they tell me I can't do it. I have to do it. <laughs> Sorry, I just went off on a I little... Mean, such a picture of yeah, young you, man. Yes, yeah, so just went on, on a little tangent there. But here's what was happening. Um, at that moment in time, everybody in the, in the public education, public school system was... They, they were pushing four-year college. And they were... There was kind of this... I, I how would you say it? Um, there was this conversation that was happening where it was, you, you know, uh, they were treating people who went to vocational technical high school like they were slow or they were like the misfits or like they were devaluing in the conversation the fact that like we need tradespeople in this country. And I saw it happen. And I saw so many of those kids who I, I was friends with you know, uh, who would get on that Votech bus every day and people, like, I, their heads hung in shame, right? And then I saw everybody else going to college 
preparatory classes, right? So they're going to college prep and, and they all went to four-year schools. And now we have this huge gap. Because one after one after one after another, they started shutting these programs down or started to uh, underfund these programs. So wood shop, metal shop, yeah. auto mechanics, those programs, HVAC or, or carpentry, like those were things that were available very much so in the 70s to the mid 80s. And then the late 80s, they started shutting those programs down because four-year college was, was what you were supposed to do. You know, I, I don't want my son to be a grease monkey or a mechanic or, you know, I, I think that we've struggled as technicians and as an industry as a whole with our image. You know, I mean, we, we just have. And on the other side of that, I've seen technicians who are my age who now own shops who aren't understanding that the, like the mentality of technicians today, younger techs is totally different. The culture is different. So my aim with this training program is to be able to, kind of blend the two, right? I, I want to be able to give everybody a universal language of how to work in an automotive repair shop and what it means to be a professional technician. I want to get them all the same language, all the same systems and operations. So, you know, like for me, I believe in a shop, you know, a technical, or I'm sorry, Visual communication is the, the best form of communication there is. If I see two people in a shop talking face-to-face, -face, I know we're losing production time. I just know it. And then how reliable are you, Thomas, or anybody? I mean, you, you've all played that game of telephone, right? Where yeah. I say, hey, Thomas, the, that, that tree out there is it, it's losing its leaves. And, and then you, you say it to somebody else. By the time I hear it again, you know, like it, it's, it's wintertime. You know, like I, Lowell said it's wintertime out there. He's crazy or whatever. I'm just, you know, trying to use an yeah. example here. So it, we're very unreliable as, as people who communicate. But if I can see something and it's written somewhere, that's solid. I can always double check it. I know, like, this is what I need to do next. This is where uh, I need to concentrate my focus on. So I'm trying to um, build a program that will help people understand each other and their processes and systems in that manner. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their clients' sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust leads near me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. I want to tag back to something you just said that really fascinated me. Sure. So you basically, you know, were saying that, that you know, the, uh, we'll call it old school and new school are right, right now in the field. Mm -hmm. Describe those two. Certainly. Um, and that's good. That's a good question. Uh, so when I came up as a technician, it was different. Um, let's say, let's go back to 18 year old me hitting the shop floor. Okay. At that moment in time, there were guys who were 10 and 15 years older than me, uh, who had graduated through those vocational technical high school programs that I'm talking about. So, you know, those guys who in 75 graduated high school with a skill set now have 15, 16 years of experience, and there's a lot of them. And the, the tendency back then was to flood the floor 
meaning over hire technicians because you'll get them to you'll get your production out of them, right? As opposed to giving, you know, a technician two or three bays, which I'm not a fan of. I think that that breeds complacency. But uh, they you would get one bay and that was it. If if you didn't find the work, you didn't sell the work. They didn't give you the work. It was just it was it was kind of cutthroat. Mm-hmm. There was also a certain amount of pride if you were a technician who could turn the hours, right? A lot of the guys who couldn't cut that left the industry. So we have a couple different problems here that, that created this gap. Um, we had overflooding the floors. We had fewer repair shops at that moment in time. We had guys who were, or, and girls who were leaving the, the, the workforce. And we had this kind of cutthroat mentality because everyone worked on flat rate and you had to perform. You, every inspection counted. You, if you didn't find the work, you, you didn't eat. You didn't take home a paycheck. And there, the conversation of having a pay guarantee was just not there at that moment in time. So it's old school, kind of rough, you know? Yeah. Um, I think today that's a little different. You know, we have a little bit more of a comfortable culture, I guess I'd call it, in our industry. And I think that, you know, for, for young kids, and, and it's just kind of, and I remember when I, I first started coaching. Young, you're talking, you know, 20s. 20s, okay. yeah. For young, yeah. For, for me, that's young. <laughs> Come on. So want to make sure everyone's following yeah, along yeah. here. Um, so, you know, younger people, let's just say, I, I believe, you know, it, it took me a minute to wrap my head around this when I started coaching other repair shops, that there are some younger people that aren't exactly motivated by money. Like, Money's a, a part of it, but they want to be a part of something. They want to feel like they're a part of something. They want to have a good culture. They want to feel good about what they're doing and who they're doing it with. Complete opposite ends of the spectrum when you're talking about technicians. Yeah. So now you have this old curmudgeon like me running a repair <laughs> shop and you have this younger kid and there's like a communication block here. Like they're, they're there's not a fundamental, fundamental thinking difference. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of conflict there. And I see it in the two cultures. And that's one of the gaps that I'm trying to bridge. So is that why I've, I've, I've been a part of this conversation for a long time, but I've never heard it broken down this way. This is really interesting. So, you know, we, we have, you know, the old guard, the new guard, whatever you want to call it. And we get them together in a shop and that's creating conflict. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that? Why is that? Is that a big part of why we have so many people who have left the industry, especially the younger guys, and why so few people are interested in coming into it? I think is yeah. there a correlation there? I think there's correlation there. I think that you know, uh, for the old guard, it, it's it's almost inconceivable that the objectives are, are different, right? Like you need to produce hours. You need it. Like the, why aren't you doing this? Why don't you know this? Why you know? For us, it's like, and I've talked to a lot of older technicians, it's it's really hard for us to understand. Like, why don't you want to do this more? Like, why don't, why aren't your goals about producing hours, like taking care of your family? Um, and there has to be, I, I think what what we need to do as an industry is this, is we have to really understand, and, and I'm not trying to get psychological here, but we kind of have to a little bit. We really have to understand each other's expectations and respect them, Right. So for me, and, and I talk a lot about retention in my coaching and, and when I give talks, for me, if, if you're going to retain technicians, you have to figure out what their pain points are. You have to be able to help them solve them. It's not always about money. Money doesn't fix everything. But if your technician knows that you're aware, I mean, so let's, let's peel back the curtain even further. 
So when I'm coaching a repair shop, one of the first things I like to do is look at data. I want to know, I have some technicians who produce really high, and I have some technicians who estimate really high, but don't sell a lot of it. And when I start looking at that data, let's say I have uh, two technicians. I have one technician, he quotes $1,000 on every car, and he sells 45% of that $1,000 every single time. I have another technician who comes in and he quotes $1,000 and he sells 20% of that $1,000 every single time. There's a problem there, right? There's a trust issue there. Like my advisors don't trust this person. I got to figure out why. Like sometimes this happens overnight. And this has always been one of those things that, that has been really interesting to me. I started to realize with my crew of technicians who I think were stellar among the best, I started to realize like when so-and-so is having a fight with his wife because he sold less, he estimated less, you know, like these things were happening and I could, I could see it within the numbers. And what I started to realize was like, maybe I need to go out and, and talk to, to Bob, you know, like it's Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm watching his close ratio slide into the toilet. Maybe, maybe there's something different about him, right? Like I got to figure out what his pain points are and try to help him solve them. Right? And that's just one case. But I think as an industry, if we want to retain our technicians, we have to figure out what their common pain points are for even working in this industry and try to make them a little bit easier. And then individually, what are their expectations of you as a tech, as an owner? Uh, what are their pain points? What is going on in their lives? Now, there's a, a, a really like thin line here that you don't want to cross. But at the same time, you, you have to be aware of what your technicians are going through. You have to be able to... to help them one way or another, build a relationship with them that you have open communication and then re reevaluate those expectations very often. Like, Hey, I expect this from you in, in production and you know, I need you to know what you expect. One of the things I think that make great shop owners is that the shop owner who asks their technicians what they want, as opposed to telling them what they need to do. I think that's a huge shift and I started seeing... Break that down a little bit. So instead of coming out in your morning meeting and saying, okay, guys, we got five techs here. We're going to do 220 hours this week. I want the sales to look like this. No comebacks, blah, 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 blah. Of course, that's, that's how the, the business should run. Everybody should be aware of that, okay, at this point. Whether you have a chart in the, the break room or you know, whatever, you're keeping track of those numbers. If you're a technician, you're not keeping track of those numbers you need to be, okay? But one, one particular, um, I can just say his name, uh, Jack Getz. He's, he's one of our coaches. Here. Oh, I love Jack. Jack's awesome. Um, and he gets embarrassed when I talk about this. But what he did, it, I, he created a trend where he went in and uh, instead of talking about what the shop needs, he, he was like, hey, man, I'm just going to step back for a minute and I'm going to hear it from each one of you technicians. What do you want? Now, what do you want out of life? Is it a home or a car to finish high school or whatever it was? And they all kind of held each other accountable and they all helped each other lift each other up to, to achieve their goals. And most of them did. And if you go to Jack's, if you go to Jack's shop, you'll see like he's got great technicians. They love the, the culture in that shop is, is amazing. And I've been to his shop a few times. So, you know, I think that shift and, you know, understanding each other's expectations is what's going to help bridge the gap. Having a, a, a language that we can all speak and understand each other from. I think that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I, I really thought 
that this conversation was going to be, you know, why, you know, we're going to talk about technical training, all that. But I, I think what you're explaining here is absolutely gold because so many owners, from, from what I'm learning in this conversation, there's a huge disconnect. There huge. is a disconnect, yeah. And, and so if you are, you know, uh, whatever school you were raised in, whatever, if you're talking to someone in a different school, your life views are in many ways quite different and it's creating this friction that's really fascinating. And so, you know, this, this thing that Jack did where he asked them, you know, what their expectations were, that's such a shift from, you know, what typically would be done in business. That, that's not a common thing. Um, and I, it makes me think of a statement I hear quite a bit. And, and I'm curious what your thought on this. You know, I, I talk to some people, and, and they're you know, they're they're not having fun right now. They're they're an owner. They can't find text. They can't keep text. And I I hear this statement frequently. It's no one wants to work. No one wants to work. No one wants yeah. to work. And and I I feel like what we're talking about is so uh, intertwined to that mindset. What are your thoughts on when you hear? No one wants to work. Going back to what we just talked about, I, I think when I hear no one wants to work, I, I, I understand that the person who's saying that doesn't understand who they're working with. They're not understanding their technician's expectations. They're the guys or the gals going out in the shop and be like, why don't you, what are you guys doing standing around? Why aren't you inspecting these cars? Blah, 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 blah. You know, that's not leading. That's not leadership. That's, that's managing. And that nobody wants that, man. Yeah. I tell you, it, it, one of the reasons why I, I left the corporate world, that the training, you know, doing training and opening stores and stuff like that, which was great. It was great money. And, and, you know, but it was constantly somebody telling me I was doing something wrong, you know, because maybe they felt like they had to get results or keep, keep them, me under their thumb or whatever, but it doesn't work. You can't walk out in your shop and, and berate everybody and, and demand the you know, you know that that they jump every time you walk out there. It just doesn't work like that anymore. That that's a pretty rare and unhealthy culture in a shop. So I think to again, you have to understand what motivates your technicians, what their pain points are. You have to make them feel good when they accomplish things. You you have to set up a culture where they make each other feel good. Maybe even some, you know, it, it, look, it sounds like I'm trying to paint this like everybody gets a trophy world. It's not. It's, it's not that way at all. But it's, it's more or less building a culture and camaraderie in your shop that, for success, right? And understanding what your te- who your technicians are because they're human, human beings and what they need, what they're up against in life. It's hard. It's hard out there, man. Yeah, it really sounds like what you're describing is a much more engaged style of leadership. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot more work. It is a lot more work, but I, I think initially, I think it's, it's well, I don't mean, fair to say I, that. That's not a bad thing. I, I'm just pointing out that, you know, and listen, if you've got that mindset, you're listening of, man, no one wants to work. First off, I want to encourage you that there are people that want to work. Yes. What we're talking about is, man, how can we create a culture in your shop where people do want to work? Uh, and it's and it's complicated. It's not a, a simple thing of oh, you know, whatever generation we want to talk bad about doesn't want to work. It's communication. We're wired differently. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, it's story time again, I guess. But I, I want to go back to a moment in time where I yeah. really learned this. Um, now, 
I, I think it was like 2010, 2009, 2010. Um, we were really rolling and we had a great reputation in the community. I had a terrible reputation with technicians. And, what did that look like? Well, I'm, I'm about to. All talk. right. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably one of the most embarrassing moments in my life. Um, my CPA came in to my accountant, came in to, to talk to me at the beginning of the year, about the year before. And she was a sweet, older lady, and she was trying not to be too direct about it, but she eventually, she gave, look, this is what she said. She's like, hey, um, I deal with a lot of small businesses about your size, and, and I don't have anybody that has employee turnover like you do. And I was like, oh, really? She was like, yeah. I was like, what, what is that? What are, you, what are you trying to say? And she's like, last year you handed out 28 W-2s. Last year. That means like every 10 days I was walking somebody to the door. And it wasn't because, well, maybe I was a little bit of a jerk. But here's the thing. I had high standards. I just didn't know how to communicate them and hold people accountable to them. So I ended up walking them to the door. And then I realized like, oh, that, the problem's not them. The problem's me. I'm not a good leader. And I really had to dig deep and figure out how to change this dynamic. And I did. I built a team who, you know, after I sold my shop, stayed on for quite a while. You know, and most of those guys retired. Um, it was a good team. So it really took that moment in time for me to realize, like, my expectations aren't unobtainable. They're not unachievable for my technicians. But the way I'm trying to lead and the way I'm trying to empower my technicians, I wasn't trying to empower my technicians. You know, like I was, I was angry at them all the time. You know, why are you late? Why, why aren't you, why are you talking? Why aren't you working on that car? You know, like there are more cars out there. Hurry up, you know, like all the time. And then I started to realize like, that's not going to cut it. I got to figure out how to lead these guys. I got to figure out how, what motivates them? Why do they even work here? And you know what I found out why they work there? even through that is because they had a personal relationship with somebody else on the team. They didn't want to let down. Wow. Yeah. And then so I, they were there in spite of you. They were there in spite of me. Wow. And when I figured out how to further strengthen those relationships in my relationship with them, my retention went way up and I couldn't, I couldn't just, you know, 20 W2s. I mean, I sound like a megalomaniac or something, you know, <laughs> like, but it, I mean, it was just one of those things where, you know, that's the old school mentality. My way or the highway is how I looked at it until that moment in time that I was like, there's got to be a better way. Well, a word, a phrase that you said, high standards really stuck out to me because I, I think that's another, you know, common comment when we're talking about no one wants to work. It's, you know, it's an issue of, you know, they, they're not, it's an issue of quality, you know, oh, they they don't do a good job or I have to come in behind them and all these things. And, and, and to that person, you know, who's in that mindset, I could see, yeah, it's hopeless. They, these, these quote unquote young people, they're just not built the same and, and all these different things. But what, this conversation is really highlighting is that it truly is a shift that the owner has to go through. Yeah. And, and I imagine for the owner, you know, it must feel a little bit like BS, like, well, why do I have to change? Why can't these guys just get in line? I'm running a good business here. But, but 
there there is such a fundamental difference in how both parties think right that uh, that is just not a possibility no it would be you know hard pressed to build a team with that mindset yeah and i still have owners who i i coach who think that technicians like fully complete completely trained technicians are going to show up at their doorstep and they're going to build this team. And it's, <laughs> it's so funny. I just got to find the guy. I just got to find the guy or the guys or where, you know, what they don't realize is like, there's a workforce out there that they could train that they can bring on. And they, I mean, they don't have a choice. Yeah. What are you going to do? Shut down, sell your shop. I mean, a lot of people have done that, but if you're truly going to keep your shops staffed with employees, you're going to have to grow them. You're going to have to be involved in some sort of training. You're going to have to be a leader. You can't go out there and manage them anymore. It doesn't work. You have to build a team. I, I want to ask you one other thing. I want to talk about what it looks like to train a team in just a second. But sure. another thing you said was you have to empower your technicians. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Empowering technicians? Yeah. Because I think that that alone is such a, a mindset shift. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think back to that moment in time when I realized like I needed to lead and not manage. And, and I think there's something that happens in the mind of technicians, in the mind of owners. And I've seen this a lot. I'm sure you have too, where they are afraid of hiring somebody that is better than them. Oh yeah. Well, I think every, every leader has that fear. Every I think in the back of their fear. head at some point. What I think empowering your technicians means is letting go of that and help foster them to become leaders themselves. I mean, they may leave, you know, they may get, go do their own shops or whatever, but you know, it's like that old adage, like what if we don't train them and they stay, you know, like what if we train them and they leave? And then what if we don't train them and they stay? You know, it's, it's you, you might lose a few technicians, but you have to let them, you know, spread their wings. You have to foster leadership qualities in them. You have to inspire, figure out what inspires them. You know, not only figuring out where their pain points are, but what inspires them. Like. Hey, Tom, Thomas, what does your future look like here? Where do you want to go? Like, and, and have an honest conversation. I know that that's kind of a cliche interview uh, question. Like, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? Have an honest conversation about that with, with your technicians. Figure it out. Help get them on that path. You know, the other thing you, you talked about um, growing teams. I think this is important in growing teams. Figuring out who you have ind individually on your team. You know, that's one of the things I think, oh, you know, there's a lot of controversy about personality tests, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I but, read some this morning. Yeah. <laughs> to me, if they're done properly and they're, they're read properly, it's the best way to build a team. You know, one of the things that, that you know, we talk about it here a lot, the shop fix, the Enneagram. Oh, the Enneagram. We, we are both... The fives. We're fives, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... In our old building, they had a section for us. They called it the, <laughs> the five wing. Um, it, and that's funny, but here's the thing. There's not a lot of bickering on this staff, you know? Like, yeah. everybody understands who each other are, who each other is and how they're likely going to react to something, yeah. right? So I bring that up because we're familiar with it. Maybe not everybody's familiar with it, but... Um, if you build your team knowing who's on it and who you should put next to them to help inspire them, motivate them, and keep them accountable, that's the best way. That's the only way. I mean, you're, you're going to have to figure out how to... It's really 
when it boils down to like understanding each other's expectations, but it's no longer about hiring technicians, giving them keys and cars and parts. It's about building relationships. It really is. That's how we move forward. That's how we move forward. That's how we save the industry. Yeah, that's how we do it. Yeah. I wanna, like it or not. Well, one thing I want to add to the personality test thing. I, I think that sometimes personality tests can be used against people as well. Sure. And, and not in a, you know, I mean, there's nuance to everything. But, you know, if you're using a personality test, it is a guide. It is a tool. It is not the answer. Right. And and I think, you know, with a lot of the, con you mentioned the controversy, I just want to address it. I think a lot of the controversy is when people take a tool, whether it be the Enneagram or the Colby or the Myers-Briggs or the, you know, for the, the one with the animals, you know, the owl and stuff. I, I don't know that one. There's one There's one with the animals, apparently. Uh, interesting. You know, whatever it is. And then they're like, like what oh. is your spirit animal? Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is. Thomas at SLCAutoPodcast.com, if, if you know what that is. Um, but, the, yeah, you have all these different ones. And to me, like from my experience, it doesn't matter which one you pick. As long as you just have a language that you and, and the team around you universally understand, it, who cares which one you're using? Uh, but don't use it against people, you know? Right. Use, use, use it as a tool. Sorry, my own rant. I usually don't rant. That's usually, you know, the guest job. But. No, that's totally fine. All right. Well, uh so you, you've given some really important insight. And, and man, if we ended the episode right now, this would be huge because I think whether you're a service advisor listening, a technician, especially technicians, an owner, you know, a customer that happens to find the podcast, like understanding where things are at is so important. And then how do we move forward? Because we are in a very precarious, is that a word? Precarious? I, are you saying... <laughs> Prayer? I don't know. I, I, we are in a very odd time right odd. now. We are on it's the edge. Tenuous. Oh, there we go. Uh, we're on the edge right now of the industry, you know, figuring this out and and being able to build back up our workforce with with a good, solid, you know, team of technicians, or you know, having to get really creative and figure it out. Um, and I think some shops are getting it, some aren't. And there's so many people that I know that are trying to solve this problem. You, Chris Knuth with APAC ATI, mm -hmm. um, a few others. And these people are really trying to build up the technician force. And so when I found out that you were doing something like that, I was super excited because I know who you are, your character, the type of style you have, and your passion for the industry. Um, and so where, where did this idea come from? Like, you training technicians, having your own technical academy? Oh, I mean, it comes from a couple different places. Um, this is, you know, something that's been on my heart for a long time. Um, my vision looked a little different. You know, I there was going to be a someday for me, right? And, and what that kind of looks like is that at retirement, I would open a school to teach people auto mechanics, Right. Not just people, but specific people, people who are on the fringe of society, people who are troubled youth, are parolees, you know, whatever. Because, you know, I, I, I mentioned it in kind of in passing at the beginning of this episode that like I was a troubled, troubled teen. And there's no doubt that I can look back in many places in my life and, and realize like this saved me. This saved my life. This saved me from peril. And I could see how it can for other people, right? So that was kind of my vision. 
And I had been talking about that since that very, I, I mentioned the interview. I came up here and, and met all of you. Uh, and I guess it kind of just stayed in the conversation. And when the idea came about, it was literally, literally TJ Roberts just popped in. I think I was on a coaching call. He just walked in my door in my office. He's like, hey, man, uh, we want you to do Tech Fix next. It's just like that. <laughs> you know, That's very TJ. TJ. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, like, here are the keys. And 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 it's been great. I mean, the, those guys have been so supportive. Um, well, dude, watching you, like, from that moment, you know, I mean, you... The, the passion that you've put into the, the process. And I, I've been, you know, grateful to be able to help a little bit with some of the technical stuff. Um, you've got an amazing team that's helping you build yeah, it all I do, out. I, do. I mean, amazing people. Yeah. Scott and I'm oh. just going to holler at Scott and, and Sam and Avery. Scott, and, yeah. oh yeah. Uh, and so what, what, what you're putting out is amazing. Um, what's interesting though is, I mean, there, there are, there's lots of technical schools out there and, and I don't want to, I think that all these schools are teaching good things. I, yeah, I, this absolutely. is not for the purpose of, you know, bashing anyone, but what is going into your program that you're excited about? So that's one of the things, um, you know, when I went to tech school, I had to work at loop shops at night and, you know, oftentimes I'd have to pick up, you know, shifts like at a restaurant or something, you know, going back to washing dishes for, you know, while I was doing that. Um, because you're in a classroom eight hours a day. And I think that's great. I learned a lot there. Um, I became a, a master technician L1 when, before I even graduated technical school, which if, if you know what that is, I mean, that's back then it was a pretty big deal. Um, so I learned a ton. Um, but this program is designed to allow you to work and get the fundamentals because I think that's where we're lacking a lot. And I just want to talk about that for a second. Um, I'm during testing for this this project I'm working on. We found that let, let me just say this: we we tested A, B, and C level technicians. So like they they enroll and the first thing they do is go through like a so like an aptitude test. Yeah, well, kind of like okay. a, a general knowledge and skills test. Okay. okay. We had something the first week that we checked. Um, we had something like twenty master technicians. Um, take the test. They were all different. They were geared towards that level of technician. They self-identified master technicians? Uh, they're, the person who put them in the program would so say- So the shop owner. The shop owner would say, this guy is a genuine master technician. Got it. The 20 that were enrolled in that program, all but one had passed the exam. Okay. And I'm guessing that these people, and I'm not trying to be an ageist here, these people looked a lot like me if you could see them, right? They're older dudes who, who went to tech school and the whole thing. The next group, the, the B level, or what we call advanced level technicians, um, there were, I can't remember numbers, let's say 80% of them took their level test and failed. Really? 80%. 80%. 80%. And here's what we found. It was the basics. It was like they just, and there are a lot of programs out there like uh, Identifix or IATN. If you don't know what those programs are, they're online communities. They're great. They're great. Yeah. But I think that has been inserted into our diagnostic chart, right? So we don't have to understand the fundamentals a lot of the time because we can pull this trouble code, go to one of those or Google yeah. or right, yeah. and then we can get pretty close with our diagnostics. So I can kind of solve the problem if I see that ninety eight percent of the people who have come across it, or ninety three percent, or whatever, who have come across this code, 
uh, had a successful fix because of this. That's how the dealership suit as well. How, yeah. yeah. So what we're realizing is that is short-circuiting the actual general knowledge or basic knowledge of, of repair technicians of, let's say, a certain age who didn't have that basic understanding in high school or that you know didn't go to a trade school, which many of them haven't. So we kind of geared the, the program towards that, uh, giving you fundamentals while you're working on the job also teaching you another lane, uh, how to work in an automotive repair shop and what that universal language looks like. And then finally, we have like our upper level, like uh, master technician program, which we have a, a great trainer. Um, he's just been, his name's Eric Walker. He's just been amazing. You know, his, his the classes I've seen him build on fuel trims, uh, theory operation, diagnostic, and, you know, uh, hybrid air conditioning system, like you just name it. This guy's top, top notch. So like we try to put everything that we could to, to basically like this, doesn't matter where you are. We want to grow you to be a master technician. We also build it so that you can hire a guy or gal off the street with a good attitude and aptitude, put them into our general service training program. And after, you know, two, three, four, five years, they have the opportunity to become a master tech while working on the job with you. Oh, so they're they're not taking night school, they're they're not going to take hours off the shop. Is it like a how, how? What's the structure? So it's it's stripped. So like you know, everybody at week three will have the same classes at week forty five. Video or video? Live? Yeah. Okay. So there, there's video classes that that are dripped courses that are dripped throughout the program. There is also live webinars, like once once a month, depending on what course you're enrolled in. Our core level technician is where we're that program is where we're teaching all these fundamentals and all these basics. Everybody gets that class. That also has a live webinar for it once a month. Now our master technicians also get that higher level webinar once a month too. There's testing and certification in this program. Um, gosh, it seems like there's so much, like it's hard to, it, you know, it's like it, it's hard to boil down to an elevated pitch in what we do here. Yeah. Um, but it's designed to take, like I said, your people, no matter where they are and keep growing them to the next level. And also, you know, kind of redefining what, how things should be. What should you know about brake hydraulics? Like, what should you know about ABS or, or air conditioning or, you know, ADOS? Like, all the new systems that are coming out. So, let's say we take a, a general service technician. After five years, we grow them to a master technician. They're not done. It's not like a program that you quit. Our program is designed to go on into perpetuity. I think what you've created is very important and very unique because... We need people in our shops right now. We need people to, to be able to fix cars. And in some cases, we are having to bring in people that don't have the knowledge level that we would yeah. want. And so I love that, that you've created something where they're not interrupted from work. They're not having to spend time away from their families or whatever. The shop still gets the production. But we are constantly, you know, through the program, giving them the knowledge to continue to improve. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we realize there's a sense of urgency here. Huge. We don't, we don't have two years to wait for people to graduate That's right. from a tech school. I mean, again, those programs are great, but we got to get people working. You know, maybe you bring them in the program and you decide that you want to do that later or whatever. But, yeah. you know, we're trying to build something comprehensive that can keep your technicians working and producing. Yeah. yeah. Are you addressing the thing we talked about earlier where are, are we giving any help to the owner to better work with their team? And maybe, you know, helping technicians maybe better understand the owner. 
Yeah, in a couple of different ways. Um, a lot of the fundamentals that we teach here at ShopFix for the owners, we have kind of, um, I wouldn't say translated them, but there are different philosophies here, different mindsets. So we've kind of built like, you know, for instance, um, we use the same program about the whiteboard because that, I mean, that puts everybody on the same page. Owners understand it, service advisors, technicians. Uh, same thing, you know, about inspections. We, we teach, you know, like the easiest, best way to do t inspections to increase your tech quote, you know, like all of the things that, that we teach them to uh, owners and, and managers, we, we try to teach the technicians as well. So they're on the same page. And that's more or less an, along the line of what I was talking about, a universal language. Ah. We want to make sure that they, there's an understanding of what the expectation is around these simple systems. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you're doing some really important work. And I had you on the show because I really feel like uh, you have a unique voice and that you can bridge that gap. You do understand both sides and you also see the need. And so I'm really grateful you came on and I'm really excited to see what your program does. What, and, and the name of it is Tech Fix. Yeah, Tech Fix. Tech Fix. Yeah. Um, and it is starting July 1st, 2023. Just a few days from, yeah, End of day tomorrow, essentially, we're going to have all the levers ready to pull. Nice. So that at midnight, it's, it's going to go live. And this is not a sponsored episode. You're not paying me to be on the show. Um, but I do want to give people the opportunity to reach out to you if they have questions. Uh, what is the best way for them to reach you? The best way is info at techfix.training. Okay, perfect. Lowell, I always have this last question that I ask everyone, and I don't remember if when you were on before if I asked you this because I started it, you know, probably four or five episodes in. I, I certainly, if you did, I wouldn't have remembered. <laughs> Me either. And, and probably I'm going to give you a different answer if, if I did. So All right. Let's try it. If you were a car, <laughs> what car would you be? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, motorcycle would have been easier. Um I guess I'm a, I think we did talk about, I think I'm a ratty old pickup, man. I'm, you know, like maybe ratty old pickup with a, with a hot rod engine. How about that? This is your answer. There is no wrong or right. All right. I'm a rat rod. Okay. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm grateful for our friendship. Me Thank too, you buddy. so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'd like to have you back in a little bit and we can talk about how things have evolved and, and things you've learned. I love some of the early statistics you have about what you observed in testing. Yeah. I think that as time goes on, there'll be some really cool insights that we can talk about. Uh, there'll be the proof that it's working, right? So yes. hopefully, yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, thanks for having me on, Thomas. Thanks, Lowell. Take care. You too. That was my interview with Lowell Green. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. To help me in that mission, please leave us a review, subscribe to the show, and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-656-8804. Thanks. Have a great week.